So about five years ago is when we started thinking about, a little over five years ago, we started to think about and pray about and plan for River Life. One of the first decisions that we made was we knew we wanted to be a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And because of that, I knew we would have to have membership eventually because that's part of the bylaws. We'd have to have it. And so then I was in this struggle of, wow, it means I'm going to have to face this eventually. Something that I've largely ignored or dismissed. I would have to deal with this eventually. Well, River Life is a little over four years old now, and we haven't had to worry about membership up to now because in the Alliance, we are, we are what's called a developing church. Kind of think of it like a, a kid, a minor with his parents. We still fall under the local district office here in the North Central District. And, like, we have their bylaws. We don't have our own board. It's they are sort of our board. They're our parents. We're still the minors. But we're four years in. We're growing. We're financially strong, which means we're about 17 and a half right now. <laughs> and 18 is coming up. <laughs> Which means we're going to be transitioning. And very likely within this next year, in 2019, we're going to transition from what's called a developing church to an accredited church since we become an adult. And, and there are a few different parts of that, but one of those is membership. So it means because knowing 2019 is not that far off, about a month ago when I was putting together this River Life DNA series, I'm like, I'm going to have to start thinking about membership. I'm going to have to start wrestling with what do I really believe about this? And how can membership work in a church and be a great, wonderful part of the life of a church? So that's what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and, and talking with, with other pastors and talking with folks at the district office to try to figure this stuff out. So I'll admit, I've got some baggage, okay? I'll admit I've got some baggage around the topic of church membership. And so I've got some biases, but I've been working really hard to understand it, to understand it from a biblical perspective, to understand it from a church systems perspective, and to figure out and to, and to really embrace the positive side of membership and its place in the church. So that's me. What about you? What are your thoughts and feelings about membership? When I say the words church membership, what, what comes to mind for you? So here are some different options. Here are some positive reactions to the idea of church membership. Membership gives me a feeling of belonging to a church. Membership means I can have input in the ministry and the future of the church. Or maybe ministry means that, that the church will be there for me when I need them. So those are some very positive reactions to church membership. And maybe your spiritual and church history has some of those thoughts in it. Now here are some negative thoughts of, and, and experiences of, around church membership. The church wouldn't fill in the blank because my family, we weren't members. They wouldn't marry us. They wouldn't visit my mom in the hospital. They wouldn't help with our funeral. But they wouldn't do us because we, they wouldn't do something for us because we weren't members. Or maybe church members, the church members that I saw, they were just into controlling power in the church. 
and that's how they use their membership and their voting. Or maybe the, this idea the church had an in-crowd, and I wasn't part of it. Or maybe for you, you, you've shared the sentiment I've shared, I shared for a lot of years was membership just isn't biblical. So, th- so I think that's really important. How do you feel about church membership? I think we've got to own our baggage. We've, we've got to admit what we're coming to the table with. Because I don't think that church membership is a neutral idea for a lot of you. You either have had some good experiences Or, my guess, unfortunately, I think a lot of you probably have had some not as good experiences. And we have to acknowledge those. So let's just admit it, put it on the table, and still move forward. So, what is membership? Is it it something God-made or human-made? Is it a positive aspect to a church? Is it a negative aspect to a church? Is it good and it's just implemented badly? Or is there something inherent in it that just creates bad situations? So those are a lot of really hard questions. A lot of difficult questions. And and no one sermon could ever answer all of them. But the Bible does offer some insight into church membership. And so for today, I'm just going to answer one question. One little question about church membership. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? Now, come next year, probably the beginning of the year, probably January, we're going to do a whole series on membership. We'll be able to talk about this across many weeks and all the different parts of it. But for today, just one of the questions. Is it biblical? Well, spoiler alert, yes it is. It is biblical. And by the way, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. There, I just spoiled a 20-year-old movie. (laughs) But it is. So church membership, it is biblical. But here's the problem. How can something be biblical when the Bible never directly talks about church membership? How is that? Because it's true. You can read the entire New Testament, all about everything that is ever said about churches in the Bible, and you will never read, like, thou shalt form a list of church members in a church. No, you're not going to read that. So how can I stand up here and tell you that it's biblical if the Bible never directly talks about church membership? Well, and and honestly, that was one of my dilemmas for so many years. That's why for a a long time, and, and we talk about cards on the table, admit your baggage, I've spent more years of my Christian life believing membership was unbiblical than believing membership was biblical. Because the total sum time, that, the total amount of time that I have kind of believed that church membership is biblical can probably be counted in days and weeks because I've been studying this hard. And I really had to open up my heart to something I resisted. And as I opened up my heart and I read and I studied, I'm like, you know, and I started listening to some sermons and reading more and more. And, I'm, and all of a sudden, I actually kind of changed my opinion. That God spoke to me and revealed some things to me in Scripture that changed something I had held for a lot of years. That membership really is biblical. Now, 
I, this, membership is not one of those things that I'm going to die on a hill for. If someone gets it, wants to get into a big online fight with me over membership, it's going to be a really short fight. I'll just post up some obnoxious meme and say, thanks for the discussion. I'm gone. <laughs> okay? Like, I will die on a hill that Jesus died for you. Like, I, I will fight tooth and nail that, that major themes of the scripture are hope and healing. Those are things that I'll, I'll get into arguments over. Church membership, eh, not so much. But I will tell you now that I have changed my view of it. And so that's what I want to do today is I want to share, you, share with you some of the things that God used to change my mind about membership. And, and we go back to this question of is it biblical? And if the Bible doesn't directly talk about it, how can it be biblical? Well, my answer is this. There are five church practices that the New Testament talks about. Five church practices that assume membership exists. And if membership didn't exist, these five church practices would make no sense at all. They would just fall apart. Because for these five things to make sense, membership has to be there. And so that's, I want to share with you those five things today. And now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so like I said, five church practices. And what's interesting about these five church practices is nobody in, in sort of church study and, and Christianity really argues that these five practices are, are not biblical, Everyone kind of agrees that they're well represented in Scripture about how to do church. And if all of them assume that something like membership exists, why do we argue that this isn't biblical? So let's talk about the first one. First is that church leaders are called to care for their congregation. Now, that, that should be fairly obvious that the person God calls to be a pastor should care for their congregation. And, and that, that, you see that all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Okay? So the Bible, one of the common uh, metaphors that the Bible uses for these church leaders are shepherds. And the matching metaphor that Scripture uses are that for a congregation is the flock. So just like an actual shepherd and sh has sheep, and has a flock of sheep, a pastor, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, e around here even life group leaders, have a flock. And these are people, this is a group of people that God has given somebody the responsibility to spiritually care for. And as, as the pastor of River Life Church, that's, that's a big part of my job description is to provide spiritual care and nurture for the congregation of River Life, okay, for a group of people. And just like shepherds are supposed to care for their little flock of sheep, of animals. Now, so here's just one of a multitude of verses across Scripture, Old Testament and New, that talk about this idea of shepherds, church leaders, caring for their flock, church members. This one's out of 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing 
as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's a, that's a pretty powerful verse for church leaders. And it sets some standards of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. But did you catch, there were two lines in those two verses. There were two lines um, in there. First, the idea of be shepherds under, of God's flock that is under your care. And in, in the second one, it talks about that um, not lording over those entrusted to you. There's really clear language for shepherds that there are people God has entrusted to you. There's a flock, and a flock has a number. So think about this. If there's no such thing as membership in a church, how would I know who I am spiritually responsible for. Think about that. If church was just sort of a, a flowing amalgus, kind of some people come, some people go, who am I spiritually responsible for? And, and the scripture also talks about that when I stand before God, He will challenge me on how I cared for you. So I'm just not responsible right now because I, I, like, I have a boss and district office people. No, I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account of how I shepherded my flock, the flock that God gave me. So if church membership didn't exist, who's my flock? To give you an example of this, um, uh, prior to River Life, I was in youth ministry at another Hmong church at Hmong American Alliance Church, and I, I'm grateful for the years that I taught Sunday school there. In fact, a whole bunch of the folks here know me even from back then, and, and you were in my Sunday school class, and, um, and, and during those times, I loved it. And that little class, that class was my flock, not the whole church, just that class, and then eventually we started dreaming about River Life and, and we left Hmong American Alliance and then started up River Life. That class is not my flock anymore. That class is entrusted to somebody else. You are now my flock. And sometimes folks kind of from my hack days will message me or email me or text me with spiritual questions and, and I will encourage them, you know, talk to one of your leaders. Sure, I'll still answer, but again, I have in the back of my mind, oh, they're not part of my flock now. Somebody else is a shepherd over that flock. And if that, that idea didn't exist, if the idea of membership, of some type of accounting, some type of group, if that didn't exist, who's my flock? I don't know. So that's the first one. Let's go into the second one. The Christians, Christians are called to follow their leaders. Christians are called to follow their leaders. Now, this one can get a little touchy. Depending on what your church experience has been, what type of pastors, what type of church leaders you have been under, this can be a little touchy, a little sensitive of an issue. Um, some, if you've been around churches, you might have heard this is that uh, church submission. That's another term that gets thrown around sometimes. Um, so so this, this can be a sensitive topic because it might conjure up images of pastors, parents, youth leaders who demand obedience, 
who guilt you or shame you when you do things they disagree with, who use manipulative pressure to try to control behaviors. And I just want to say and say, if that has been your experience of church, I'm really sorry. Because that has no place in the kingdom of God. They were not representing Christ in that time. They were broken. They were mistaken. They, they had some wrong views of what shepherding looked like. And, and if, you ha- if you have had that experience with a pastor, with some, anyone who identified themselves as Christian, I'm really sorry. Because that is not what Christ is about. And that is not what the kingdom of God is about. And it shouldn't be what church is about. But regardless of our experiences, good or bad, with church leaders, the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about this idea and repeatedly calls Christians, churchgoers, to honor and submit to their church leaders. Here are just a couple of the verses in the New Testament that talk about this idea. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. There's actually that verse that I mentioned earlier that that as a leader, I'm going to have to give an account to God of what I do here as pastor of River Life. 1 Thessalonians 5, here's another one. Now we, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So out of these two verses, we just saw four things that you as a church member, a church goer, are called to do in relation to your leaders in the church. Have confidence in them. Submit to them. Acknowledge them and hold them in high regard. Think about this. But if there's no concept of membership, who is it that you as a church member or church attender are to honor and hold in higher regard and submit to and listen to and follow? Who is it? Like, is it all pastors? No. That's not how... The Bible talks about it. It's not all pastors. You know who it is? It's your pastor. And for a lot of you, if you call River Life your home, that's me. That's Kong. If you're in a life group, you've got a life group leader who is your shepherd. And if there's no idea of church membership, how do we know who we're supposed to follow? Because your relationship with your pastor is different than it is with other people who hold the title pastor of other churches. It's different. Third, the church is called to confront sin in its members. The church is called to confront sin in its members. This this is something really touchy as well. This one among church circles is often called church discipline. And it's churches either will focus a lot on this or focus not a lot on this. You don't find many sort of in the middle. And, and if you grew up in a church that focused heavily on church discipline or you grew up in a Christian family that, hope, that focused very heavily on family discipline, 
And to you, this idea of confronting sin brings up, brings up feelings and fears of legalism, judgmental Christians, social rejection, public shaming. If those are the emotions that come up with this idea, when, again, I am sorry. That is not what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about. And that is not at all what Jesus or Paul meant when he talked about this idea of confronting sin in church. So around here, we call that having the hard conversations. And it's, some, it's one of our leadership values that, that as leaders of River Life, we have the hard conversations. And you could ask pretty much anybody on our ministry team. At some point in the last four years, I have had a hard conversation with them. And I've had to identify something that was less than healthy, either in their life or in their relational dynamics or in their team dynamics. And I've had to have the hard conversation with them. See, these are the conversations you wish you didn't have to have. These are the conversations you would do anything to avoid. Because they're so awkward and they're so uncomfortable. But these are the conversations that we have to have as a church. If we want to be healthy, if we want to continue to grow, if we want to be emotionally well, and mature, we have to confront sin in the church. We do it lovingly, and we do it gracefully, and we do it gently, but we've got to do it. So if you stick around here heart long enough, chances are that somebody in your life and ministry is going to have a hard conversation with you. Because that's what the Bible calls us as churches and church leaders to do. But... If there's no idea of church membership, if that didn't exist, how do we as church leaders know who we should be having the hard conversations with? Who sort of falls under our domain of, of challenging them to greater levels of spiritual growth and lower levels of sin in their life? Who, who are we responsible for? Who do we have the conversation? Is it just any sin we see? <laughs> I just start trolling Facebook for anyone and I'm getting ready to nail them. <laughs> no, that's not how, that, how this works. There is a set body. And that's the church. That's membership. And if, so if there's no church membership, this idea of church discipline or confronting sin or having the hard conversations, it doesn't make any sense. Because then you just have conversations with whoever you want to have conversations with. And you become one of those people. Okay, fourth. The fourth thing you see in Scripture is that excommunication exists. Excommunication exists. Now, excommunication is the process of asking someone to leave a church. Now, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a lot more complex. But in the most general sense, it's asking someone to leave a church. Now, that feels really extreme. But it's in Scripture. In fact, not just once. It's in there a few times. We know through, through the New Testament books that leaders had to ask people to leave their church on at least a few occasions. So it's by no means a normal thing, but it exists. It's there. 
And in fact, it even started, it even started with, the, with the churches in Acts or in Paul's letters. It actually started with Jesus. And Jesus talked about this idea first, long before Paul ever did. Um, and so, so he talked about this. In, oh, I totally lost my place. <laughs> wow, where did I go with this? Uh, I, think I, I think I missed the verse. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. No, I did. Well, I apologize. Let me look up Matthew 18 for a sec. <laughs> so Jesus wrote, the def- actually he spoke, the definitive passage on, on how to deal with sin in the church and then what to do if someone is unrepentant. So, yeah, so I, I, I mixed things up a little bit. You'll, you'll find this passage, uh, whoever's on the computer back there, you'll find this passage a couple verses back out of Matthew 18. There we go. Thank you. If your brother or sister sins, uh, it, sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Then if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that's, that's sort of an idiom. It's an idiomatic way of saying treat them as someone outside the church not someone inside the church. But that's, that's not the only, other, the only other place. Paul talked about it with the Corinthian church. Now, was, there was an interesting situation. There was a pretty messed up situation going on in the Corinthian church. And, and we could tell this by what Paul wrote back to them. So there was a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. Okay? We're fairly sure stepmother versus his own mother um, by the, langu- by the language uh, construction of the passage. So he's sleeping with his stepmom, and the church is applauding it, which that's just messed up. I've seen I've seen some messed up churches, but that one, woof. Okay, and so he heard about this. This got back to him, and he wrote to them, be like, "No way should you be doing this. This is so wrong." And then he explains kind of why it's so wrong, and then he closes with this statement. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And then he says, expel the wicked person from among you. After this long discourse, he explains, listen, you've got to kick this person out of the church. They are unrepentant. They are engaged with sin and brazenly disobeying God, disobeying their church leadership. You've got to ask him to leave. For the health of the church, you've got to to ask this person to leave the church. Now, I pray as the pastor of River Life, I pray that that day never comes for me. Because that will be a heartbreaking moment. And and in, in what you heard in Matthew 18 about go talk to them one-on-one. Then bring somebody else along and, and talk to them maybe two-on-one, three-on-one. And then bring it to the church, whether it's the church elder board, the ministry team, 
um, the congregation, and if they are still unrepentant, excommunicate them. You ask them to leave the church. And that exists in Scripture. But here's the thing. How can somebody be outside the church if there's not a definition of what inside the church is? If inside the church was a blurry line, how can outside the church be a not blurry line? Even in that, membership had to exist. Something like membership had to exist for excommunication to exist. Now, fifth. If we go to the fifth one. Now, this one, I'll admit, this one isn't a practice so much as a a metaphor that's used heavily in the New Testament. That the local church is described as a body. This was one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church was a body. So this isn't a practice, but like four practices and a metaphor is really wordy. So I just just called it five practices. But this was really a metaphor that Paul used, and it was one of his favorites. And this this idea, in fact, this passage where where Paul talks about the church as a body is where we get the word member. This is actually the one time in the New Testament where Paul uses the word member of something larger than themselves. But for him, this passage, he uses the body. So this word you're going to see in a little bit where that talks about a part. Uh, well, let, let's read the first one, then, then I'll explain. So it's, it's, this is out of 1 Corinthians 12. He has an entire, almost an entire chapter on this idea. And this is the topic sentence. It's the very first verse here, and here it is. Just as a body, and this is a physical body he's talking, he's not talking about church body. A physical body, arms, legs, torso, balding head, the whole bit, okay? Just as a body, the one has many parts. But all, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And he elaborates that he's talking about the church here. And this word parts is actually better translated as body parts. But it would just sound redundant. Just as a body has lots of body parts. Where the word membership comes in, if you grew up in church, maybe you used the King James Bible or an ESV or NASB, some of the other translations, that word parts is actually translated members. But we don't really talk about our hand as being a member of our body. It's a part. So body parts. And so just picture this image. How can a body have parts if there's not a defined limit as to where my body starts and my body ends? So like, this is my body. This is not my body. (laughs) It's really obvious. We all know where our body starts and ends. And for some of us, our body is starting a little larger and larger. Okay? But, but we know where our body starts and ends. Same it is with the church. Think about this. If there was no such thing as membership, how would we know where a body starts? How would we know if a body part, a hand, belonged to you or belonged to some other body? Or it's just a dismembered hand on the floor. 
and it didn't belong to anybody. So think about this. Without the idea of membership, this body med metaphor would be nonsensical. It would not make sense. Because bodies have defined edges, starts, and finishes in the body and out of the body. And the worst thing that can happen to a body is when something that is supposed to be in the body, like your blood, ends up out of your body. <laughs> That's usually quite painful. Bodies have boundaries. So do churches. So there you have it. Five ideas, five components that are very clear in Scripture. And over the last month, as I ran across and I studied, I was convinced more and more, really for the first time in my Christian life, that membership is a biblical idea. Five things. Here's a review. Church leaders are called to care for their congregations. Christians are called to follow their leaders, their church leaders. The church is called to confront sin in its members. Excommunication, asking someone to leave a church, that exists. Not common, but it exists. And lastly, the local church is described as a body. Five things that if membership, if something like membership didn't exist, these five things would be nonsensical. They would not make sense. And so I, kinda, I had to come to grips with this idea, maybe I can't dismiss membership like I have for so many years. And not just because we're an Alliance Church, we have to have membership, but maybe it's actually part of God's design for church. Maybe it can be something really good for church. So I want to close. I want to close with five statements to tie all of this up together. Five statements that might represent questions you're wondering about. First, as you've picked up, I'm still trying to work out what I really believe about membership. I'm just being honest with you. I do not have this worked out. And even by January, when we do a whole series, I still might not have it all worked out. But I believe theology is a growing part of our faith. And so it is with me. So I don't have all of this figured out, but I believe there is a biblical basis for it. And let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not dismiss membership simply because we've seen bad implementations of membership. But instead, use that as a challenge to think, how can we do it here at River Life, uniquely here at River Life, really well? Maybe even the way God intended it to happen in a church. Second, is this, the issue at hand here isn't whether River Life will have membership. We will have membership. But it's how do we do membership really well? How do we avoid some of these pitfalls that you see churches and pastors fall into? How can we do it really well? And I know there are some churches out there that are doing it well. I just have to find them. I have to track down those pastors and, and give them a call. And so that's what, that's what we're, we're targeting. That's what we're aiming for. And, and this is where I'm at a disadvantage because I personally have only seen membership in a few churches, and I wouldn't want to replicate what I've seen in those churches. 
And one of our leadership values around here at River Life is you can't do what you've never experienced. You can't do what you've never experienced. And so I feel like I'm at a disadvantage working through this. But I'm seeking out some wise people who have been in ministry a whole lot longer than I have with some healthy churches and seeing if I can expand my circle a little bit. Widen my fishbowl that I'm living in to have some better understandings about membership. Third, I tell you this. I will not let membership compromise our vision, our values, or our vibe. I will, no matter what we do, I will not compromise what I love about River Life, our welcoming atmosphere, that we accept people no matter where they are on their spiritual journey. You have a home here at River Life. I will not compromise that by ad, do, in how we add membership. So it means I've got a challenge ahead of me over the next few months. To figure out how do, we, how do we keep what I love about this church and what I love about all of you and add what might be actually God's plan for churches is this idea of membership. Fourth, if you have questions about membership, if you're curious about what it will look like, don't ask me because I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Literally, like I am figuring this out as we go. Okay? So I, I've got a few ideas, but nothing's on paper. Nothing's firm. So, so we're in this together. We're, we're venturing into uncharted territory here, waters we haven't sailed before. But God is good, and God is faithful, and he is worthy of our trust. So I believe he will be with us in this journey. I believe he won't fail us. And this will be something that he will use to make River Life stronger together and stronger for our communities. Lastly, God wants the best for this church. And so do I. So I'm not going to make decisions, big strategic decisions that I believe will hurt this church. And if membership really is a biblical idea, we will benefit from it. We will come out better on the other side of all of this. If this really is God's design, we're going to be better off for it. And that's the vision that I want to leave you with, is that if this really is God's design for church, we are going to be better off adding this. And I say that especially for those of you who might have had some very negative feelings about membership. God is good, and he wants the best for his church, and he wants the best for River Life, and he wants the best for you. And he's not going to put something into our body that will hurt us because he wants the best for us.